Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Status Alternative Podcast. My name is Brittany, and on today's episode, I will be continuing my analysis of the Into the Dark series. Um, I'm mostly going to be focusing on season two for this episode, so let's just dive right into it. So in this episode, I I really couldn't put these episodes in a clear tier list like I did for the last season that I did, because I feel like a lot of these movies went in a totally different direction as far as like style and plot and overall just pacing for all the movies. So we have 12 new episodes with 12 uh, new takes on the holidays. So there are some repeat holidays for this in this new season for season two. So the episodes for season two are Uncanny, An- uh, Uncanny Annie, which represents Halloween, Pilgrim for Thanksgiving, A Nasty Piece of Work for uh, represents Christmas, Midnight Kiss represents New Year's Eve, My Valentine represents for Valentine's Day, uh, Crawlers is set around St. Patrick's Day, Puka Lives is set around Easter slash Puka Day, uh, Delivered is uh, represents for Mother's Day, Good Boy represents uh, for Pet Appreciation Week, the current occupant is for Independence Day. Tentacles is also for Valentine's Day. And Blood Moon represents for the spring full moon. So, like the last episode, I'm not going to go into a whole exposition about these episodes, go into a whole full summary of that. I would probably save that for, like, if I was, uh, anal- if I was, like, examining these movies as a whole by itself. But for the sake of this, I'm just going to, like quickly summarize the plots of these movies, and then just dive right in. And basically, like I said earlier, a lot of these movies felt it, the the tone for these movies felt in a different direction. And I really couldn't just put it in a tier list. So what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to talk about some of my favorite ones and some of the ones I thought were okay. And actually, I got to say, season two, for the sake of this like podcast episode, Season two, I feel, had the more had more movies that I did not like. It had more movies that I actually enjoyed. Let me rephrase that. Season two had more movies that I actually enjoyed watching. So, without further ado, uh, right off the bat, the one the movies that I actually really, really did enjoy from this season, uh, Uncanny Annie, Midnight Kiss, Delivered, A Nasty Piece of Work, and Tentacles. So, Uncanny Annie. I personally felt like, so let me just give the synopsis. So these kids are in, in this house. Uh, there are a bunch of college kids. It's Halloween night and they decide to play like this board game. And in them playing this board game, they end up stumbling upon a board game called Uncanny Annie. Now realizing that the board game is haunted and they basically have to play the board game and they have to win. But if they don't win, they all die. So... One of the things that I really liked about this movie, I kind of felt like it was what, I felt like this movie was what Truth or Dare was supposed to be like. So if those of you who don't know, Truth or Dare, the one that came out, that was part of the Bloom House like production team, where these kids were playing a Truth or Dare game, and basically if they didn't like tell the truth or something like that, this benevolent spirit was uh coming to kill them. It's basically like Final Destination, but with Truth or Dare. But with this one, this one's more like if Truth or Dare meets this, but better. I did, I enjoyed it. And then, of course, there's the characters. They all have, like, one of the characters has a secret, obviously, because you can't, like, do these movies without, like, somebody having a major secret that digs into the plot of the film. But, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, like, a pretty solid film. Yeah, I really, I thoroughly did enjoy um, Uncanny Annie. Because, like I've always said, especially in the last episode, I'm a big fan of supernatural horror. So this definitely was a supernatural horror film. Uh, The next one I'm going to talk about is Midnight Kiss. I only had one issue with Midnight Kiss. So Midnight Kiss is set around these best friends, um, they're, uh, these gay best friends, and their straight female friend, 
And they do this sort of like yearly tradition for the past seven years where they play a game where once the um, clock strikes mid, once the clock strikes midnight, they get to choose who they have as their midnight kiss. And they can choose whether to go home with them or not. And it's basically no strings attached and stuff like that. The only one rule is it has to be consensual. So basically, so what ends up happening throughout the whole, so what ends up happening is there's somebody who's like killing these best friends off. They all get together and then for the seventh year in a row, they're all getting together to do this whole big party where they there's one f- friend in particular that is kind of like the main focus of this serial killer who's hunting down their friends. So I will say this. The one thing I had a problem with this film, overall, I really enjoyed the characters. Like, I really enjoyed this cast of characters. Like, they were funny. They they were endearing. I really liked them, except for Joel. And if you watch this movie, you'll know why I don't like Joel, because Joel is an asshole. But I got to say this, I felt like the killer's motives were very, very weak. The killer's motives, in my opinion, were very, very weak. So, spoiler spoiler alert, this episode is going to have a bunch of spoilers, so you've been warned. Plus, these movies came out like at least two years ago, go watch them. So, I feel like with the killer, the killer's motives were very, very weak. The killer's motives in this film was that Cameron, Cameron's the main protagonist for this film, Cameron ended up having this guy be his midnight kiss, and he couldn't recognize him because he wore a mask, and apparently this dude wasn't out yet, apparently the killer is Joel's now fiance, because Joel and Cameron used to date, but Cameron broke up with Joel because Joel started to resent, uh, uh, not Joel. Cameron started to resent Joel because he felt like Joel was too controlling. He was manipulative in their relationship while they were together. And it, they broke up. It was, and it, and I feel like one thing I enjoyed about this film, not to, to go off on a tangent, like a bit of a side tangent. I really enjoyed how they didn't do that stereotypical trope. Of like, oh, Cameron is jealous because Joel's moved on, is dating somebody new, and Joel and Cameron wants to get Joel back. It's nothing like that. It's it's more of like Cameron has moved on, doesn't really like Joel, and has a problem with his new boyfriend, now fiance. I forget that dude's name. I think it was Lucas. I think it was Lucas, if I'm not if I'm not wrong. But it's like when you date Joel, he becomes very controlling and he's, he's very just like, it's my way or the highway. So you can kind of see why they broke up. And then like, there's one part in the movie where they, uh, they finally figure out that it was actually the fiance that was, uh, killing off their friends. And he was like, cause he's such an asshole. He's like, basically, cause like, He's going on his whole, you know, the serial killer spiel that most serial killers go on or like murders and the killers in these movies. They go on and they talk about their motives and Joel is tied up to a chair and he's like, so you blame us because you decided, what did he say? He said, so it's our fault. It took you seven years to become interesting. And Cameron's like, dude, what are you doing? He's about to kill me and you want to, like, yell at him now? And it's like, and then you hear Lucas. I want to say that's his name, but I can't remember. See, that's how... Oh, this guy was just so, like, his motive was so weak. Like, his motive was, oh, I wasn't out yet. You were the first man I kissed and then you threw me away. Dude, it's fucking New Year's. I'm sorry for all the cursing. But it's like... It's New Year's Eve, man. Like, of course, you're wearing a mask. What, did you think he was just gonna, like, just take you home? And it's New Year's Eve. And it was seven years ago. And I'm like, oh, my God. this dude. Like, at least with most killers and most of these movies, like, they're, they're, 
their reasonings behind it make sense or it's or not so much that it makes sense but you get where they're coming from with this it's like oh i was thrown away so now i gotta kill this dude and his friends like really weak weak motives weak motives that's all i got to say other than that i really enjoyed the film i really enjoyed everything else about the film aside from that dude's motives because it just felt weak to me it just felt so whiny and then on top of that like I like the little easter egg they put at the end when the credits are rolling and it's like all the photos they've taken over the seven years while they're doing these parties and you can see Lucas lurking in the background of these photos and the fact that they never noticed is so funny because Joel ended up marrying him and dating him so the fact that they went like seven years without wondering, huh, you know, Lucas is in these photos is freaking hilarious to me. It's so hilarious. So next we have Delivered. So Delivered is about this young woman um, named Valerie. She's eight months pregnant. Um, she's due really, really soon. And she um, ends up meeting this young woman who um, she assumes is another soon-to-be mom like her. Now... Already you get the sort of like, like 15 minutes in, like a couple of minutes into the film, you already see like she's very visibly uncomfortable. Like she seems to have this anxiety. She's not really having this bonding moment that comes with being pregnant. Now me, myself, I've never, I'm, I have, I have no kids. I know what, I don't know what it's like to be pregnant, but you can see like with her, she doesn't have that maternal instinct yet of like connecting with the baby she kind of seems like a, just the regular anxiety that comes with you know becoming a first-time mom and everything and you see it on her face so she um she has her husband tom and he's like he wants to be more involved because she has these doctor's appointments and everything like that and he wants to be more involved because you know it's his wife he it's his first child he's ready to be super dad and everything and it's very endearing he's very sweet so they meet jenny at this mom mama stay class it's a it's a take on namaste but it's like a mommy yoga class filled with pregnant women so they meet her there and then they're like i said they're under the impression that she's pregnant and it turns out she's not. Jenny is actually one of those, everyone has heard those stories in the media over the past couple of years about these women who obsess over these pregnant women to the point where they try and steal their babies. Jenny's one of those women. Basically, it's like that meets misery. That's all, that's basically the best way to describe this movie. So, like, Jenny has, Jenny ends up killing Tom, and then basically holds Valerie hostage until she gives birth so that she can give birth to her child. Now, here's another thing. There's another man in the picture. The other man is a man named Riley. So, throughout the film, you uh, see her meeting this other guy. You see this other guy. His name's Riley. Um, so it turns out that Valerie had an affair with Riley, and Riley is actually the father of her child, not Tom. And this sends Jenny in a whirlwind, because now she's freaking out because, oh, you got a guy out there who's looking for her. Um, you know, this doesn't bode well, because somebody's gonna come looking for me. Um, not like the others, because apparently the others didn't come looking for them. So... You you basically get all that. Now, I enjoyed it for the sake of the story and for the sake of, like, the actress that plays Jenny is just chilling. And her motives, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. These motives. For Jenny, the re her motive behind kidnapping all these pregnant women and trying to keep their babies is because Jenny's abusive parents, um... Jenny ended up pregnant and her abusive parents took the baby out of Jenny and left her there to die and she killed her parents and then lives on their farm in the middle of nowhere and she's been kidnapping these pregnant women for I don't know how long and like she'll stalk these pregnant women try and steal their babies but the thing is every time when she tries to take the babies out they end up dying. So this is just another one of those, like, th this is just another, like, 
chance at her to be a mother, essentially. So I really enjoyed Delivered. It was it was eerie. It was creepy. It, it it's really solid of a film. It's a really solid good film, and I enjoyed it. The next one I'm gonna talk about is this one. This one is a comedy horror, in, in all sense of the word. This one's called a nasty piece of work. So. You have this guy, I believe his name is Ted, and he works at this company. And anybody who has worked in a corporate culture knows how, like, you have a guy, he's hardworking, he's trying to do his damnedest at this company, he's a hard worker. But he feels like he's being overseen by his boss, who is showing favoritism to one of his fellow employees, who's your run-of-the-mill, brown-nosing, kiss-ass type of dude. Smarmy. The same, like, stereotypical Abercrombie and Fitch dude that you see in those catalogs. Like, just basic dude, bro. It's like a stereotype he fits into. So, his boss ends up inviting Ted and his wife and then his rival and his wife to his house for dinner, for Christmas dinner at his wife, at his boss's uh, wife's boss's house with his wife. And basically, the night just takes a turn for the worse because it slowly turns into, like, a competition between Ted and his co-worker to see who is willing to go as far as need be to secure this promotion. And a lot of shenanigans happens, a lot of truths come out, a lot of harsh truths come out. And, like, you basically see how, like, Ted has a temper how, um, he, he, you're basically throughout the whole movie rooting for Ted at this point, because it's like, he's the decent human, he's the decent human being, he's not an asshole, he doesn't believe in that sort of corporate culture where you have to be an asshole to get farther into the company, so you see all that, and it's, it's, the fact that it's a horror comedy, it's, it doesn't, like, focus on cringe and uncomfortable moments to get a laugh. You're basically laughing at his other co-worker because he's everything that you... He's such a stereotype. He is such a walking dude bro stereotype. And it's hilarious because obviously you know his boss even told him to his face. It's like, I'm not giving the position to you. You're an idiot. I'm giving it to Ted. And he wanted to see how far Ted would go even further because he knew Ted's not a, an idiot. He's not like the... It, it's basically... It's it's hilarious. And the twist is rather nice. I rather enjoyed the twist. Um, But going back, like I said, this movie itself doesn't really focus on cringe horror for the hilariousness. You're, you're mostly just laughing at this one character who is seriously the butt of the joke for the entire movie. But, yeah, nasty piece of work. I actually liked it more. And it also, I like the social commentary on the whole idea of, like, rich people will have an abundance of wealth, and they can basically buy anything they want. They can do whatever they want. And sometimes they get away with some illegal stuff. But I like the idea of the fact that they're basically turning this whole narrative of, like, You're basically so devoid of any actual joy and enjoyment that you need to get pleasure and you need to feel something by making other people miserable. You get your kicks and your jollies, can't believe I just said that, uh, from like tormenting people that can't do anything about it. You basically can get away with tormenting these lesser individuals because you know they're not going to say anything. You have the wealth. You have the power. Nobody's going to go against you. So, I like that social commentary. A lot of these episodes do have that sort of social commentary in basically from season one all the way to season two. And I really enjoy it. Uh, Let's see. And last but not least, we have Tentacles. Now, Tentacles! Oh, boy! Tentacles was a wild ride. It was a wild one. So, Tentacles is about this young woman named Tara who seemingly is on the run from somebody or something. And she ends up meeting Sam, and Sam's kind of, like, down on his luck type of dude. His parents just recently died within, like, a couple of months, maybe a year apart from each other. 
he's tr- he ends up moving back into his family home, which he's not really want. He, he never he didn't really want to do that. And on top of that, he's a photographer. They meet. She offers him a job, and shortly thereafter, shortly thereafter, they start dating. Now, after they start dating, Sam starts like experiencing some weird phenomena. There's some weirdness going on with him. And it may or may not have something to do with Tara, who, whose past is coming back to haunt her. Now, this one they describe as a psychosexual thriller. And it really holds up for that title. There is a lot of sex scenes going on in this film. And that also being one of the counter that also being one of the counterpoints for this film. Because uh the way they describe Tara, or the way I would describe Tara. Tara is a succubus because while she's with, um, when she's, while she's with Sam, some weird stuff starts to go, starts to happening. Um, all of a sudden his ear starts bleeding. He's hearing these ringing noises into his ear. He feels weak. He, um, his blood work comes back fine according to doctors, but obviously there's something like eating at him and absorbing him. And it's the succubus. It's obviously, it's Tara, who is, she admits to having a stalker, but in actuality, it's her ex, and it's her ex-fiance, actually. So, Sam starts to notice there's some weird stuff going on. Um, Him and Tara's relationship is moving faster and faster and faster. Basically, like, their relationship is uh, four months in, and they're already moved in, to, moved in to, uh, together. And then on top of that, they're moving in together. And on top of that, Sam wants to marry Tara. Now, Tara, for all intents and purposes, you think, oh, this is great, this is great. But you start to notice, and even Esther, his best friend, is like, yeah, there's something weird about her. Like, you just met her, you're moved in together with her. And on top of that, like, you're trying to marry her, and you don't even know that much about her, because what we see from their relationship, yeah, for the most part, is very domestic, but it's also just very sexually charged. Like, there's no real connection other than just infatuation and sex involved in their relationship. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, he's planning to marry her. And all this other stuff. And then on top of that, his health is getting worse. So, as Sam starts to grow more suspicious because her past has come back to haunt her, her ex, Grant, is like, hey, you know, you you gotta be careful because she stole from me. She ran off with some woman named Alice. Uh, She stole my savings and all this other stuff and I just need to talk to her and I need to hunt her down. And then all of a sudden... The bodies start piling up. Stuff doesn't make sense. And then on top of that, aside from her other ex, Grant, he goes and finds her other ex, Theo, who she was dating before she started dating Grant. And Grant, no, Theo was like, hey, you know, you got to be kind of wary of her because, like, I was dating her too. And, like, it was just this weird, like, strong attraction to her. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I was weak. I I just wasn't feeling any better. Then all of a sudden, I wake up. I fall into, like, he passes out in the middle of the street. Wakes up. Once she's gone, he starts to feel better. And he gets better. So that's where it's like, okay, this woman is obviously a succubus. And she assumes the identities of these people that she's sleeping with by absorbing them stealing their lives, and then going on. So yeah, Tentacles is just a story about a succubus. So I, I I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy the story. I'm not gonna lie. It was it was really good. It was really good. Uh, so yeah, those are kind of my favorites. Uh, next, I'm gonna talk about the, the ones I thought were okay. I enjoyed them, but they were okay. So the first one is Pilgrim. So Pilgrim... Is about this woman. She is a... She's trying to bring her family together because her husband's too focused on his work. Her stepdaughter is kind of uh, resentful towards her and her son. I want to say it's her son or her stepson. I can't remember. Uh, Uncanny Annie and Pilgrim I already saw 
Because I had not seen the rest of season two from this series. So I ended up watching Pilgrim. I didn't rewatch Pilgrim and I did, didn't rewatch Uncanny Annie. But they, she hires these like sort of like these Pilgrim reenactors to come to their house to reenact the whole first Thanksgiving and all that stuff. Even though everybody knows. It, 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 I feel like in this day and age, we all know that the first Thanksgiving was a kind of a load of crap. So they bring in these reenactors and they really take this stuff to heart. And who do they take this stuff to heart? Because uh, once stuff starts to get weird, a lot of murders start to happen. And pretty much it's kind of evident that these people are a cult. Or they're involved in a cult. So, you hear, you, you basically get all that. Pilgrim itself, the story of the characters, pretty solid of a film. Very culty, very disturbing. Uh, I enjoyed it. It just wasn't one of my favorites. Next was Crawlers. I felt like Crawlers was good, but I did not care too much for the fact that I felt like something was missing. So Crawlers is sent around St. Patrick's Day. Crawlers is about, like, these kids, these three unlikely friends are in the middle of this college town and then all of a sudden some weird stuff starts to happen. It's basically invasion. It's like a, the way I described it to my brother when I was watching it, it's a modern take on invasion of the body snatchers. You have these aliens. Apparently these aliens crash landed in this small town back in 1978 and they waited until now to become active to start attacking these teen these college students in this college town. Uh you have Misty, you have Shauna and you have Aaron. So Misty's whole story is that she Misty has a best friend named Chloe. Um and Recently, Misty had dealt with something that made her kind of step away from her friends. And she feels now that she's ready to get out more and she's ready to stop self-isolating herself. She is going to try and reconnect with her best friend, Chloe, who now seemingly has a new best friend. And Misty feels some type of way about it. Not in a resentful way, kind of like, oh, she was my best friend first, get your own best friend. That's her, that uh, type of style. So, Shauna gets involved because Shauna not only is the... Um, Shauna is kind of like the main focus because she's the narrator. She's recounting what happened that night. And also, Shauna is not only uh, Chloe's drug dealer, but she's also a conspiracy theorist. She was raised by her mom, who was the woman who claimed to have seen this meteor hit this small town back in 1978 and everybody thought she was crazy and it turns out she was right. And then you have Aaron. Aaron is part of this fraternity and Misty has some bad uh, blood with this fraternity. So as the night is going on, all these games are happening. You meet um, Chloe's new best friend and I use that in air quotes, uh, Eugene, and they're doing this pub crawl. They're like, it's like, it's basically like invasion of the body snatchers in the world's end. Except I think with the world's end, it was just mostly aliens. Actually, yeah. Now that I think about it, the world, the world's end is which one came first, the world's end or or, or crawlers? Because good lord, because it's basically the same freaking movie plot. So yeah, so you got Misty trying to regain her friendship with Chloe, and Chloe is. Not a good friend. Chloe is a shitty, horrible human being. She is not a good friend by any means. Horrible human being. So, the reason why Misty, like... You know what? I'm not even going to explain I'm not going to even explain it. I'm not going to even explain it. Just know this. Uh, there, There's a lot of this film that I felt like the pacing was going way too fast. Like... I felt like there should have been more in-depth moments with this film. Because you basically go from one event, like one, like you could, it's very, it, the movie itself is very predictable. Like you knew, okay, you got the first, first you got 
the regular stuff that's going on. Then you got the realization that something weird may be happening. Then they got to go to the person that is the expert. And then they go to the nest and then, boom, they save the day. Bing, bang, bong. It's very predictable in the fact that you know where this movie, you know where this scene is headed. You know where this film is headed. So it's like, I enjoyed the story. And I feel like I keep saying this, like I enjoy the characters involved with a lot of these movies, but I feel like this movie in particular just was missing something. And the one character I don't think you should forgive is just, he's playing three characters at once. Aaron is like playing, okay, first he plays the dickhead when they first discover where he is in the film. Then he plays the guy that wants to be redeemed and like, oh, I'm not like, you know, I'm not a bad guy, that whole thing. And then he plays the doofus because he's an idiot. Like you're playing three of these characters, these same character tropes all in the same movie. And it's like, what is going on here? I just felt. And then when you get to the nest, it's like, shouldn't there be more aliens here? Like this whole, like, this whole movie, shouldn't there have been, like, more aliens involved in this if it's a movie about aliens? Why is this warehouse so empty? I'm sorry for shouting. Like, I feel like I have to do a whole separate dive on this film just to talk about it, but is it good? Yes. Is there a lot of plot holes? Yes. Is the, fo- is the film just, just hitting its marks? Like, yes. It's so formulaic. Like, that's what I would describe this movie. It's very formulaic. Moving on. We have Puka Lives. Now, Puka Lives is supposed to be a sequel to Puka, but it's only a sequel in name. It's not a sequel in plot. To me, this is just a sequel in name. So the whole purpose of Puka Lives is you have this writer who basically has moved away from New York because he wrote a book about social media influencers and the social media influence this one social media influencer in particular sent his fans against this guy to basically ruin his career and that's why he's in this small town now also he gets a job working at his local um company who is in charge of the puka doll and there's this urban legend or there was this incident that happened a year prior to him moving back where an old classmate of his had, um, she created the puka doll and she basically was going to sign, she, she created the puka doll and she was in charge of like, they bought, she sold it to a company and the company basically wanted to redesign puka. Obviously this made her upset. So she lashed out, got thrown from the bu- got thrown out of the building, and was subsequently fired. And her husband, played by Will Wheaton of all people, which is hilarious, uh, he comes home angry at her and starts ripping the puka dolls and everything. She sort of something snaps in her with these puka dolls, and she ends up stabbing her husband, then sets her and him on fire, and they both die. And she does it with the puka mask on. Now, the writer comes into this because he's tired of, like, basically all he gets in his phone is just all these notifications of people telling him he sucks, he's a horrible writer, he should die. This whole cacophony of just trolls and nasty online behavior, obviously. So he takes it upon himself to turn the whole puka thing into a creepypasta. For those of you who are not uh, familiar with creepypastas, uh, think of Slenderman. They basically create their own online urban legend, and slowly but surely, it gets out of hand. Now, I enjoyed this film. I really did. Because I felt like the first one was more of a psychological horror, where this was like, this was basically kind of like, it reminded me of Cooties, even though I didn't watch Cooties all the way through. It was like that. And it was a lot funnier. And, like, Jonah Ray kind of steals the movie from me because his sort of, like... Jonah Ray is playing, like, a dad, and it's so hilarious. 
And it, it, him and Felicia Day being a married couple in this film is so hilarious. And I, I really enjoyed the film. I really did enjoy it. I like the addition of Will Wheaton. I feel like Puka Lives was better than the first one. Because it wasn't like a psychological where this guy is like trying to confuse, is like sort of stuck between his imagination and reality. I felt like that was more for the current occupant. But I really enjoyed Puka Lives. It, it was a nice come down. Next we have Good Boy. So Good Boy is a film about this woman named Maggie. Now Maggie is a writer for her local newspaper. And right now her life isn't going the way she wanted it. Or at least the way she planned it. She's 39 years old. She's still in the dating scene. She hasn't, um, she's not married. And she wants to have kids. She she basically wants, as she quoted towards the end of the film, I just wanted what everybody else has. So she is going on dates and they're not going well. Her current career um is kind of in the dust. Digital is now becoming the new form of news because people are not getting their news from newspapers anymore. People are getting their news from their phones, Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. Which is very true. It is very true. So she's been faced with a lot of anxiety. The looming anxiety of like her not being able, being able to have children. Her not being married. Her still dating in her age and stuff like that. So she decides to try and try uh, IVF. So she tries and does that. And she also considers getting an emotional support animal. Um, because she feels, she has this really bad anxiety that causes her to lash out at people sometimes and it really gets out of hand. So she goes to a pet shelter and she decides to adopt this little white dog, um, and she names him Reuben. Now, Reuben is not a normal dog. No. Reuben is some sort of monster. So, Reuben, whenever Maggie gets into stressful situations such as, like, um... The situation with her boss, this one date she goes on that goes terribly wrong, or her landlord that's sort of, like, really on her about, like, oh, a parking fee and the rent control and stuff like that. So these three people in particular are just giving her, like, just really bad anxiety. So Reuben takes it upon himself to kill anybody who gives her or who ends up giving her a lot of stress within a very stressful situation. Now, what is crazy about this whole thing is that she sort of takes it as normal. Because here here she has, like, the one person or the one being that actually cares for her and loves her and is able to give her what she wants, which is a peace of mind, uh, a sense of, like, love that she's never felt before, an unconditional love that she's never felt before. So, all of a sudden... All of her problems start to seemingly go away. Uh, she starts seeing this guy that she met at her job that she was working at um, named Nate. He happens to be a police officer. Um, Ruben ends up killing her landlord so they get a new property manager who's very nice and a very, uh, very kind woman. And then uh, also Ruben ends up killing her boss, her editor, so then she is later hired as the new editor, which is great for her because now with her being the new editor, she now has the job she wants. She's possibly going to have kids because her results have come back great. She's dating a new guy, which is great. Everything's all on the up and up until the head detective of these murders for these missing three people starts to notice, hey, we got some prints. We got all this stuff. Starts to connect the dots. Maggie may be involved. <laughs> I I really enjoyed this film. Uh, there are parts of it that got really disturbing, but I did enjoy it. Was it my favorite? Not really. Like, it's pretty, like, oh, it's like, okay, we got this woman whose dog is attacking these people that cause her stress. And, uh, I'll just say this. The cycle continues. Next, we have the current occupant. Uh, this one I would describe as the puka of season two. So the same way that Puka in the first the first Puka film in the first season was more like your basic psychological like is this real is this is this not real is this a figment of your imagination or is this reality type type of deal that's what it was for the current occupant 
So you got this guy who wakes up in a hospital and he's been shot and he's dealing with his wounds. But the thing is, he has amnesia and he can't remember who he is. And slowly but surely, in his attempts to try and remember who he is, he gets the impression that he may be the president of the United States and he's in this facility under some diabolical uh, political conspiracy. And they're holding him against his will in this whole place because they're trying to test him mentally and stuff like that. It's a lot. It really is a lot. And it really does get you. Like, I feel like this is what Puka should have been as far as, like, is he the president? They even posed the question. Do you think it's possible that you could be the president of the, of the United States and you're being held in a mental institution against your will? Or are you a mental patient who thinks he's the president of the United States? The twists are abound and it's a very solid story. And man, the ending got me good. The ending really got me good. Now, I will say this, like, I was pretty skeptical because, like, once you get to the end and, like, you get to, like, what you think is the end and it's like, bro, what is going on? This still doesn't seem right to me. None of this seems right. And it turns out I was right because none of it was right. None of it was right at all. So there's that. And last but not least, uh, the series finale of season two, Blood Moon. I really enjoyed Blood Moon. Now, I would have switched this. Like, since they did since they did Valentine's Day twice for this season, this could have just been a Mother's Day episode. Because I don't know what's the significance of the spring full moon and all that. So, Blood Moon, it's pretty self-explanatory. If you watch the trailer, you already know what this film is about. You got this woman, this young woman named Esme. And she's moving into this new town with her son, Luna. Luna's a very sweet kid. Already, you kind of have this feeling like, huh, something's not right. The trailer kind of spoils it for you, because if you've seen one werewolf movie, you've seen it all. Spoiler alert, Luna is a werewolf, and Esme is kind of on the run, because she's been trying to keep her son, Luna, away from the world. So basically, this movie is everything all that we destroy should have been. You want to be that type of mother that wants to protect your son from the outside world? You do it this way. Like, I get it. You want to keep him away from the outside world because you don't want other people to get hurt. And you're not doing it as a behavioral modification. This is how you do it. A couple of years ago, because I think, I feel like Luna in, current Luna is about like, she's about 8, maybe 9, 10-ish. I want to say 10, maybe 11 years ago, whatever age Luna was now. Um, Esme was, I believe, a law clerk or something that involved, like, a legal affair. She may have been a legal clerk. I'm not really sure. So she was, she ends up at a bar, and at the bar, she ends up meeting a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph is hiding a secret. So they see each other. Obviously, there's an attraction between each other, and they start seeing each other. And shortly after they start seeing each other, she ends up pregnant. And Joseph and in hearing the news that she's pregnant, um, Joseph ends up coming clean and telling Esme, hey, you know, from every once every once a month during the full moon, I turn into a werewolf. So there's a slight chance our son or child may end up being a werewolf. So there's that. Do you still want to be with me? Do you still want the kid? And she does. She she wants to be with him. She continues to be with him and it's very sweet. So a couple of months passed. She's pregnant. She's he like it's after, like it's the day after he changed and everything he saw her and he proposes to her and they get married. So the movie actually begins and opens with her holding a shotgun. There's a dead body on the floor, and there's a baby in a crate. So, uh, she opens the door and we all realize, oh, it's, now here's the thing. I didn't know who that dead body was until halfway into the film. And it just, and it, and it then dawned on me because it was just a naked person and you just saw their feet. You didn't see the man or anybody. You just saw their feet 
and you saw her torn to shreds, and I'm thinking, oh, she must have got attacked by something or someone, and I thought it was her kid, and it wasn't. She's on the run currently because, obviously, they can't stay at one place at one time because she's afraid of Luna getting found out of, of him being a werewolf. So, she moves to this new town. She's trying to adjust. She's trying to get Luna to adjust, and Luna... Luna's getting anxious because he does realize who he is and what he is, but he still wants to be able to live a normal life as a kid. So she's doing all that she can to try and, you know, keep quiet, keep on the low, not attract too much attention about themselves because obviously this type of thing will get them thrown in jail. So slowly but surely, it. I want to say for anybody who doesn't really pay attention to films in, like, the sort of sense that I pay attention to films, you kind of know where this is going. Because you know that here you have this woman who's in this town, she's using a fake name, and she wants to protect her son at all costs, and you know there's going to be a slip-up. You can see it happening. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen, but just know that it happens. And I got to say, I really enjoyed this even for the series finale, for this being the last episode, I really enjoyed this film because I love seeing how she was trying her damnedest just to protect her son and that looming question of, are you afraid that if they're... Because she... Because Luna asks about, like, his father. Like, you know, what happened to my dad and everything. And she tells him, like, one day he... You know, he was changing into a wolf, and he got out, and he came at me, and I had to shoot him. And he, she, um, and it does pose that question of, like, you know, if the chips were down, and if he got out, would she be able to shoot him if he wasn't able to, like, realize who she was or anything like that? And it kind of, like, breaks my heart, because they, they would have been a really cute family, like, right. God, they would have been a cute family had he not got out, but damn. That's the whole purpose of these stories. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, I named those films. So, let's dive into the one that I did not like. So, I will say this. I like how in season two, there's only one movie that I didn't like. Whereas in season three, not season three. Uh, season one, there were three movies in particular I really did not care for. So, for this season, the one episode that I really did not like was My Valentine. And it's not because I didn't like the premise of it. It's just that the characters annoyed the shit out of me. So, My Valentine is set around this young woman named Valentine who is getting back into the music world and getting back on stage after having a very long hiatus. And the reason for this hiatus is because she was an up-and-coming music star and her boyfriend slash manager at the time ends up stealing her image and her music and passes it on to her, not her, this woman is in no relation to Valentine, but he ends up using her music and her look and paste it on somebody else. And basically is going around saying, oh, you have no legal right. She starts to stir where she wants him to recognize her as the actual artist for this music because now her music is blowing up. Her music is now becoming more popular and she feels like, hey, you know, I'm the original artist for all this. I should be given credit for this. And he's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I must just sick my um these fans of my new artist on you so you can stop, like, going around saying that this music is yours when it really isn't. So he ends up confronting her at her, like, sort of resurgence show. And it's your very bubblegum pop generic pop music type sound now me personally I do like certain forms of pop music but this type of pop music I did not enjoy because this annoyed the shit out of me this really annoyed me because like so he goes to confront her and this dude is the worst this dude I, I think his name is royal he is the worst 
He is the worst. He is the epitome of toxic masculinity. If you ever, everything bad that you see in a human being, as far as being in a relationship with a total douche, this dude is it. He's verbally abusive. He's manipulative. He's a narcissist. He's everything horrible that you would not want in somebody that you're dating, whether they be male, female, non-binary, just a person in general who is a a raging narcissist. He's manipulative. He's verbally abusive. He's physically abusive. He's sexually abusive. He's just the worst. He's the absolute worst. And it's like this quasi-Joker and Harley Quinn type relation, bruh. It it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. And then it was like, not only were the characters despicable, no. I just found, like, Valentine's character to be just kind of, she was just there. Like, she's, she, she's not there. She's just not there. Like, I get where she, I get it. It took everything in her power to take back control of her life because she was really at the movie begins and it's like she was really at her lowest of lows and it it's it's heartbreaking and it's like not only did you pour your heart and your soul and your energy your blood sweat and tears because being a creative and I see it in her especially with this character you see where she's coming from she poured her heart and soul into this she she put up with this evil human being for so long and just was like I'm done I don't want to deal with this I don't want to deal with you bye and the last thing she expected I don't know why the last thing she expected out of this man was not for him to steal her music but it is what it is it is what it is it happened and here we are but oh my god like it's 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 a lot. And then on top of that, like, it, the film itself is like a bad, like, like, the, the, the sounds just, the sounds of the film kind of reminded me too much of, like, Scott Pilgrim, the whole video game S thing. But when you look at it, it's like, it's not even going for a video game theme. It's just going for your generic pop music video thing. But it's just stylized in that sort of neon video game-esque feel with the characters, especially with the cuts and the look. It, ooh, ooh. Man, these cuts, these camera cuts. But I digress. I, I truly digress. Is it a well-made looking film? Yes. Are the characters annoying? Absolutely. Especially Treasure. Treasure is annoying. So Treasure is the new girlfriend of Royal who he basically copy and pasted Valentine's look and music on too. And the reason why he's there, at first you think, oh, he's there to basically stop her from, you know, spreading rumors and spreading all these sort of, this somewhat, these lies, if you will, about her being the original artist and she's the one that originally recorded this music and everything. She's the actual, uh, you know, voice behind it and this girl's just Millie Vanillying her music. So, they're together, and obviously, you know, Valentine can see the same thing she went through with Royal, he's doing to um, this new girl, Treasure. He's basically talking about the music, and not music, but he's talking about the food that she's eating, he's making, he's like making comments about her weight, he's basically showing signs of being physically abusive towards her, and it's the whole thing, and she refuses to see it because she's so lost in the sauce about this dude and even though valentine's like look he's a horrible human being he's a horrible boyfriend you need to leave him he's an asshole and she refuses to see it like most people who are involved in those type of relationships they don't see it just yet it takes some time for them to realize oh you're a horrible human being yeah i don't want to yeah but yeah it just takes some time it really does take some time But I just didn't like it because, one, Treasure's character is just... There's a point where she's just whining and 
crying and it's 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 like nails on a chalkboard. It's like nails on a chalkboard. And it's just it's God. Like you're waiting for this dude to get his come up and it does happen, but it's just like I don't know. The whole overall like characters and everything involved is just so annoying and just everything about this just did not sit right. I like kept pausing the movie because I'm like, what is this thing going to be over? Why am I physically torturing myself by putting me through this film? I think, and it's not so much the whole, and it's not the topic of physical abuse and like toxic masculinity. That's not it. You can do that sort of subject matter and have it be able to be seen and watched. This was unwatchable. At least in my opinion, or for me. If you liked it, please let me know if you liked this film. If you liked my Valentine, let me know. So you can just put me on to what I'm not missing, what I'm missing. Because obviously I'm missing something. Because this wasn't it. This was not it at all. Anyway. My goodness. But yeah. I really couldn't put this in a tier list. Like, as far as these movies, it's like, you got... Five that I liked, and then the other six that I liked, and then there was just one I did not like. There was no way I was going to put this in a tier, as far as a tier list. So, my lasting thoughts on the series as a whole are that some of these episodes are misses for me rather than hits. Like, there's maybe, like, at least, I want to say six, maybe five of these films I actually enjoyed as a series as a whole. But, like, that's about it. Um, Would I classify some of these as horror movies? Not in the typical sense. Because I get, I know a lot of people have their certain qualifications of what they deem as horror, psychological thriller, suspense, because it's two different genres and everything. Some of these I would classify as a horror movie in the most basic sense. But that just depends on the person. And that depends on their qualifications of what they deem a horror movie. Just because I say it is doesn't mean it's fact. I mean, the whole series is is based around, like, all these movies are horror-themed, but it's like, are they really, though? But that's just me. That's my opinion. That's sort of, like, what I took away from this whole, from this series as a whole. So, it depends on the person. It truly depends on what you classify and what you qualify as horror. Just because I think Puka... Lives may not be a horror movie. To some people, it may be. Who knows? Because there's killing involved. It depends on the person. So, you be the judge of it. You can watch these films. They're all 12 of the episodes, including the trailers, are on Hulu. You can go check it out. Be my guest. So, with that being said, we have reached the end of this episode. So, please feel free to like and share, subscribe, whatever you do. You can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be on Spotify, Apple. Yeah. I got some other episodes in the work. I basically have a whole bunch of episodes booked up for the rest of the year. Um, I'm going to come out with some bonus episodes as well. I also have a couple of interviews that I'm going to be on, as well as me interviewing a couple of people. So be on the lookout for those episodes. You can check me out on Twitter at StatusAlternate1. That is StatusAlternate1. You can check me out on Instagram at Roll underscore Martyr underscore X, like the Hurt song. Um, Still got the Tumblr. It's still Roll underscore Martyr underscore X. I think there's a four somewhere in there. Like I said, all that's going to be in the description as well as my um, my website for the podcast. You can check me out on that. Um, for my Spotify listeners, I'm going to be adding questions to these episodes. So if you would please, uh, answer those questions so that I can, you know, start answering those. And I want to have more fan involvement. Like I said, last season, I do want to continue having more fans. So if you are listening to this on Spotify, please answer that question. Um, you can support this podcast by sharing it with your friends. Without all that being said. My name is Brittany. This is the Status Alternative Podcast, and I will catch you all in the next episode. And remember, stay alternative.
Welcome to The Rating Room. The Rating Room is a new weekly podcast hosted by Jay and Andy. In season one, we'll be re-watching and discussing one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. We are re-watching the James Bond movies. Who is the deadliest Bond actor? Who are our favourite Bond girls? How did the movies perform at the box office? You can follow us on the usual social media channels by searching The Rating Room on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. You can also find more information on our website, www.theratingroom.com. You can find the show notes on our website, plus we have pages dedicated to each of the ratings and rankings, which are updated on a weekly basis. Make sure to subscribe to The Rating Room wherever you find your favourite podcast. Don't miss our first episode when it's released next week. Thank you.